Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. If you have a Bible, open to Galatians chapter 3. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I love this time of year. Now, part of it is because I'm no longer in school. So those of you who don't want to go to school, I know a lot of schools are starting this week. Or those of you who are homeschooled, you've started school already. Maybe you don't like this time of year. But if you're no longer a student, this time of year is pretty fun. So uh, we're just at the Dayton Fair. We've got the Indiana Fair coming up, the Ox Hill Fair. There are other fairs. I love funnel cake. I love uh, football. I love everything about the fall, like the changing of leaves. It's just a, a very fun time. I know for some of you, there's a few in the room, or maybe more than a few, that you are seniors in high school. So this is the final year of high school, and that can be a scary year, and it can be a really fun year. And it's about to begin probably either on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday of this week, if you go to one of the local schools. Well, I want to describe to you this morning two different high schools. And I want you to think about, and this is for everybody, not just the students, I want you to think about which high school you would rather attend. And it's not just high school, it's going to be the entire school district. So let me describe the first one, and then we'll get to the second one. First one, we're going to call it Law High. Law High. This is Law High School. Okay? If you go to this school, the requirements are steep. The requirements for everything is 100%. Not just academically, but in everything. In the cafeteria, when you eat your food, you will be judged on how you eat your food and how much of your food you eat. And the only way you pass the cafeteria grade is by eating everything, even the mystery meat. No matter what you think about it, you got to eat it. You will be judged on your attitude. You'll be judged on your excitement. You'll be judged on your interactions with your students. And the school is like all schools from kindergarten through 12th grade. And, and when you look at the lower levels, particularly kindergarten, you'll see kids like you might imagine get off the school bus. They're excited about school. They're looking forward to school. But as you go to the high school years and examine this school, you'll see students with their heads down. They feel condemned. They feel guilty. And they know they've already failed. But the way the school's set up, you've got to continue. Now, there's a few in that school, in Law High, that are very, very confident. They've eaten every meal. They've greeted every teacher. They've done every gym class performance. Not only have they gotten straight A's on every exam, they've handed in every homework assignment, including the bonus assignments. And so, they are now in 12th grade, and when they walk down the hall... They are as proud as peacocks about their performance at Law High. But what they don't know is somewhere along the lines, they messed up. So they too will not graduate. See, the graduation committee at Law High has a very easy job. You know why? Nobody graduates. Nobody passes. Now down the street, there's another high school. This is called Promise High. Now Promise High has a totally different approach. Their motto is, everyone who enrolls gets an A. So at kindergarten, 
If you enroll your child, your five or six-year-old, into this school, the agreement is they get an A. And you sign your name on that agreement. Now, there, the way they get around it is they once had a perfect student who was perfect in gym class, who was perfect in every subject, who was perfect in their homework, who was perf- perfect in their behavior and loved the cafeteria food. And that student's perfection has been credited to every student who agrees to enter that school. Now, if you go to the high school students and watch them and observe them at Promise High, it's a lot different than you might imagine. You might think the school's empty because they all got A's. But the opposite has happened. Every student is happy and cheerful and grateful and is pressure-free because they already know the outcome of their school years. See, that perfect student has been credited to them. And they are free, and they are diligent, and they are hard-working students. Because they already know the grade they're going to receive. So we've got two schools. Law High, Promise High. Which school do you want to go to? I think the answer should be obvious. In this morning's passage is basically going to compare two schools or two ways of relating to the Lord. One is going to sound very familiar to Law High, and the other very familiar to Promise High. So look in your Bibles at Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start verse 10. The first point today is we are cursed no more. And the, the title of this message is The Promise is Greater Than the Law. The Promise is Greater Than the Law. And we're going to work our way through chapter 3. Starting at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So what the Apostle Paul is doing here, he's reminding the hearers of the Old Testament law and the reality that if you do not keep the law perfectly, you are cursed. You're not cursed in the bewitched sense of the word or a a spell, but you're cursed in the condemned sense of the word because the law requires perfection. And so if we live under that law, we're in law high. And we're essentially condemned because we can't keep up our performance to meet the standard. It's similar maybe to a death row inmate who has been convicted of murder and is awaiting the death penalty. They are cursed and condemned. Now, they have not received the death penalty yet, but it's coming their way soon enough. So if we try to relate to the Lord based on our performance to gain acceptance, 
We are under the law still. See, in the Galatian church, that's what was happening. These people called the Judaizers were trying to pull Christians back under the law. But what Paul's pointing out, if you go under the law, you've got to obey the law 100%. And it is absolutely impossible. And that's why he says in verse 11, the righteous shall live by faith. Look at verse 12. But the law is not of faith, Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. See, the law, if we live by God's rules, let's say the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law, we're not doing that by trust and by faith. We're doing that by works. And we have to do the whole thing for our whole lives. See, that's a weight that because of Christ we don't have to live under. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So, what he's saying is, we are under the law. If we're under the law, we're cursed because we can't meet the standard. But Jesus, fully God, fully man, became a curse by hanging on a cross, dying a criminal's death. And when he died, and when he bled, and when he suffered, he made it possible for us who trust in him to be forgiven and to be free. Both free from the law and free to obey and follow the Lord with the Holy Spirit's power. See, We don't have time to do this, but if you examine these verses, they are packed with Old Testament references. Both of the law and of living by faith alone. So you can write this down. Deuteronomy 27-26. Habakkuk 2-4. Deuteronomy 21-23. Check it out for yourself. But the whole reality in Christ is that we are free from the law. See, we went from being in law high to being in promise high. We want to live based on the promise of Jesus becoming our curse. Taking our guilt, taking our shame, taking the wrath that we all deserve. See, Jesus was the perfect student I was referring to. He's the one who absolutely obeyed in every way. I mean, think of your own life. If you're over the age of 29, think of all that you did from age 12 to 29. All the maybe bad things, immoral things, all those things. Well, Jesus, in that same time frame, was absolutely, completely perfect. Hebrews captures it this way, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, when Jesus became our curse, He did it as an innocent man who was fully God. And that means we can be forgiven and we can go free. And so when we accept that, when we believe that, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we become under the promise not under the law. 
And since we are under the promise, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are under the blessing of being God's Spirit-indwelt people. Look at verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the promise of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. See, when you trusted in Christ, you were also indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so, it's not what you think about Promise High where these guys and girls are just goofing off and living free and rebelling. No, if you trust in the promise, you're going to want to follow hard after the Lord. But you don't have to do it in your own strength. And you're never doing it to gain acceptance before the Lord. You're doing it all because you haven't been accepted in Christ and you now have the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the second point, the promise supersedes the law. The promise of God is far greater than the law of God. Paul's going to explain, verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. In other words, even a good man-made, legally certified promise stands once it is in writing. Think of a last will and testament. If you have a last will and testament, and it is a legal certified last will and testament, when you die, that last will and testament will carry through. It's a promise. Even if family members or friends had expectations that are not in the last will and testament, they go by the last will and testament. Verse 16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. What he's quoting there is he's, he's reminding them of God's promise in the book of Genesis to Abraham. And Abraham promised that the blessing would come through his offspring. And he's making the case that that offspring is Jesus Christ Himself. And so all who enter through that way, who is Jesus, are part of God's family. Verse 17. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. A lot of words, maybe confusion there. All he's saying is God made a promise 430 years before God gave His law. And the law doesn't wipe out the promise of God. And so we trust in the promise of God for our acceptance with the Lord. And it was always to be that way. That's the, one of the points Paul is making in the book of Galatians and the book of Romans. Read Romans chapter 4. He uses Abraham again as an example. It was always God's term to have a people that would relate to Him by faith. Verse 18, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. So, for example, if you are to be the recipient of someone's inheritance based on their commitment and promise to you, but the only way you can get it is by following their set of rules. 
well, then it's no longer a promise and a gift. It's a work to be earned. And so Paul's saying, no, this relationship with the Lord, this salvation that we talk about has always come on terms of the promise. So think of an earthly inheritance. If you have been the recipient of an earthly inheritance, it's something that was promised and that you simply receive. At preparing for this, I, I looked up crazy inheritance stories. So if you, if you want to Google crazy inheritance stories, there is a bunch of them. And uh, one of my favorites was one um, given by a man. I think he lived in Portugal. His name was Luis Carlos de Narona, a very wealthy man. And what he decided to do 13 years before he died was he opened the Lisbon phone book that he had. He selected 70 names in alphabetical order and made sure those 70 people who he never met, had no relationship with whatsoever, were the recipient of all of his wealth. And to their surprise, 13 years later, when he died and they began to get checks in the mail for things that they had done nothing for, it was all because of, I guess it's Luis Carlos, decided to give them a gift. And they received it. See, it was a promise made. That's why in verse 18 it says, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. See, we are given salvation by a promise. That if you turn to Jesus Christ, if you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven, you will be adopted, you will be welcomed once for all into God's family. That's a promise that we embrace and we believe. And if you haven't believed that, we urge you to trust in that promise. Now for those of you who know the Bible at all, a question you probably have in your mind right now, which the Apostle Paul anticipates is, What about the law? What about the Old Testament law? What about the book of Leviticus? What about the book of Deuteronomy? What about the Old Testament as a whole? I have no idea what to to think about that. What was the purpose of the law? That's our third point. Paul says it this way in verse 19. Why then the law? If Paul's saying the promise is greater than the law, why did you give the law? Well, here's the answer. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has made. It was put in place through an angel, an intermediary. So in other words, there was a promise. Offspring, Jesus. He hadn't come yet. Gives the law to restrain. We're going to look at that a little bit more. Here it says that the law came both from angels and we know from the Old Testament through Moses. Verse 20, now an intermediary, a go-between, implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. They serve two different purposes. If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be indeed by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned, personifying the Bible, everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in 
in order that we might be justified by faith. That's a lot of information. Let's just kind of walk through it slowly. So we're going to learn some things. The law was added because of transgressions, because of sins, that uh, mankind had gone wayward. And the law was given to bring restraint. I mean, think of, I think Bob showed this video, um, I don't have it today, but a video of, I forget, I think it was in India, where there were no traffic laws in this city. And so the motorcycles were just, it was crazy. They were just coming and going. So laws in our country, traffic laws, whether you like them or not, they're given to restrain. Seatbelt laws are given to protect. Helmet laws are given to protect. The law, one of the reasons for the law was to restrain and because of transgressions. Transgressions. Until Christ came and fulfilled the law. The law was not contrary to the promise. So they don't, they're not against each other. They just serve two totally different purposes. The law shows us our need for a Savior. See, one of the effects of the law is it shows us that we can never meet the perfect standard. Now, if we go to your house after church or your apartment, and you know we're coming, you cleaned it. And it's clean. I mean, you really cleaned it. But then I say, every contractor in the church, every construction person in the church, bring the biggest spotlight that you own, and we're going to shine it in your apartment or house. And that house that you scrub down is suddenly going to look dirty as the light gets brighter and brighter. Well, when we really honestly come face to face with God's law, we see how sinful we really are apart from Christ and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, remember in the New Testament, Jesus took the Old Testament law and said it's not just what it says on face value, but it's what's going on in your heart. So, Old Testament says do not commit adultery. New Testament says if you ever look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Old Testament says do not murder. Jesus says if you've gotten angry at your brother, same sin in seed form. See, the law shows us we need a Savior. The law was never intended to give life. See, that's why Paul was so concerned. These Judaizers were were handcuffing the Christians again with the law, primarily the, the idea of circumcision. But Paul wants them to know God's law, though it was to restrain evil, though it was to point to Christ, it's never the source of life. It was never meant to give life. It was never meant to make us new creations. There was no power in the law to do that. See, remember what Jesus said in John 4 to the woman at the well? The woman who had had five husbands and the man she was now living with was not her husband? He said this, Everyone who drinks of the water, the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, life comes through the promise of Jesus Christ. That's initially when we trust in Him, and that's for then onward as we abide in Him and spend time with Him. He's the life giver 
not the law. The law was temporal, not eternal. The law held us captive because we couldn't meet the standard. Jesus sets us free. Now listen to this from Galatians. We're going to preach on this later on in a few months. For you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. When you trusted in Christ, you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So a free promised gift is not a license to sin. It's not a license to sin. It is a free gift. We need to believe it. We need to embrace it. It's not a license to sin. See, he says, you've been set free. Don't use your freedom to feed your sinful flesh. Use it to obey the Lord and serve others. The law was our guardian, our tutor, until Christ came. If any of you are uh, Jane Austen fans, so think of governess. It was our governess. Our, if you're not, just bear with me. Um, it was the, the tutor, the one that, in, in a sense, held us captive and held us to a disciplined standard. So in, in Jane Austen movies, often the, the rich families have a governess, a, a, a younger adult lady who will teach and discipline the children while the parents are out doing what wealthy parents of the day did. But see, we no longer need the tutor or the governess once we are in Christ. We have been set free and now we have the Holy Spirit inside of us to change us and to free us. See, the promise is so far greater. And now, last point, we are children of the promise. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, a tutor. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. You are all, if you have trusted in Jesus, no matter your background, no matter the sins that you have committed, no matter the wrongs done, you are of equal status with every other Christian on the globe if you come by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. What what that means is not talking about water baptism there. It's talking about being immersed in Christ. When you trusted in Jesus, you were so united with Jesus that you died His death, the old you died, and the resurrection life of Christ is now in you. You were immersed in Christ. You were united with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, we who are in Christ are all one. In the church in Galatia, there was a division between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. This shows up in the letter to the Romans as well. There was a real division in Rome. For Christians, there should be no division among us because the terms are equal. We come by the promise. 
want to make an application just from recent events in our, our country here that um, I'm sure you have seen. If you've watched the news, hatred, racism, evil has reared its ugly head once again. Here's the connection I want us to make. The hope for change, the hope for unity, the hope for real reconciliation, the hope even to own wrong and turn from hatred is found in Jesus Christ alone. came across an article this week called Pastoral Reflections from Charlottesville by Keith Goad. I just want to read a portion of it. You can look up the whole article. But I want to encourage us with this application because never want us to think that the Bible is just to, to learn some interesting things but it has nothing to do with our life. It has everything to do with our life and it has everything to do with solving the problems in our world. It really does. So, Keith Goad writes, First, I praise God that His Word is clear regarding racism. In both creation and redemption, we see that there is no room for racism in the church of Jesus Christ. Every human being, regardless of age, gender, skin color, race, ethnicity, disability, is made in the image of God. The Bible is crystal clear on that. God has given the same dignity and honor to each human. This dignity and honor puts a responsibility on us to honor and care for one another. Absolutely. Christ came to save a people for Himself who are unified, not by the color of their skin, but by being covered by His blood. He not only reconciled us to God, but then He calls all kinds of sinners to be reconciled as His church. We have truth that corrects the racism that may tempt us and the message of hope. And I would add healing for those who have been on the receiving end. Church, we can be a beacon of hope by being a church of all different kinds of people that is united in Jesus Christ alone. See, that, that's the hope of the Gospel. We have rebelled Every one of us, every tribe, tongue, and nation rebelled against the Lord. And every tribe, tongue, nation, ethnicity, race is being hounded and pursued by Jesus Christ to be welcomed into one grand, very colorful, very diverse family that will worship the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when Paul says in verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, he's not saying there's no longer gender or there's no longer skin color or there's no longer great things from your upbringing. But what he is saying is the terms to be in God's family are all centered around the work of Jesus Christ. And that should make us love one another and bright lights in God's world. See, now... If you are a child of the promise, you are no, under, no longer under the curse of God's law. You have been freed from the law. Not a license to sin, but a call to obey and fervently run after Jesus Christ and fervently introduce people to Jesus Christ. See, we are the recipients of an incredible promise. We need to share that incredible promise. We're the recipients of an incredible inheritance. 
unlike an earthly inheritance, it's one that we can share at will to any who will trust in it. So isn't it so much better to be in promise high than to be in law high? See, the promise is far greater than the law. Let's pray. You guys can stand. We'll have the band and the prayer team come on up. Father, thank You for these men and women, boys and girls and teens, and how attentive they are to Your Word. We pray as we sing this song to You that just the reality of who we are in Christ would be stamped strongly in our minds and hearts. And Lord, for all the hurt and hatred and brokenness in the world, may we be light in dark places. May we be bold and courageous. And may we be ones that that welcome everyone. And we ask for your help and your power and your grace. We will give you all the glory. Amen.